Colossians chapter number 3 this evening. We'll start reading in verse number 8. The first week, we covered recognizing valuable relationships in your life. We taught on uh, Abraham and Lot. And Lot should have stayed by Abraham, the spiritual leader and influence in his life. And yet Lot left that influence and got into influences that were not so helpful. And we know because the New Testament tells us that Lot was a righteous man, but because he lived in Sodom on a daily basis, he vexed his righteous soul. I do not believe that would have happened if he had stayed right there by Uncle Abe. But, uh, uh, so we talked about recognizing valuable relationships in your life and cherishing them and nurturing them. And this week we're going to talk about repairing fractured relationships. You see, if you are a human being, you are prone to messing up from time to time. Husbands, has your wife ever asked you a question that you failed miserably to answer correctly? No, some of you are shaking your head and the Bible says all men are liars. Uh, he who says he has no sin, uh, he is a liar. And uh, certainly we've all done that from time to time. You ever been put in a situation and you do the exact wrong thing at the wrong time? And, and certainly, even in the scope of Christian relationships, sometimes good people do not so good things. But aren't you glad we're forgiven by God? Sometimes the hardest forgiveness is earned from our peers. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 8. The Bible says, But now ye also put off all these. And many of you may remember, we kind of spoke on many of these uh, last year. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, that created Him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us now as we read your word, as we study your word, and as I preach your word. Oh Lord, help us understand what this scripture means to us and how we can make a very real application in our daily lives and in our relationships that we have. Oh Lord, I ask that you would help me tonight. Give me direction of thought and clarity of speech as I teach and preach this evening. I ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we will look at five lessons, and many of you say, oh no, five. When he gets over three, we're going to be here forever. But tonight we're going to look at five lessons on repairing fractured relationships in your lives. 
Now, the first two are very unique in the sense that they are, they are preemptive. It is preventative maintenance, if you will. I had a coach in high school, a football coach. His name was Roy Reed. Some of you may remember him. And uh, uh, I was quarterback uh, my sophomore through senior year. And I remember the first day I came out, see, I played like a, a, a lineman position my freshman year. So my sophomore year, he brought out a whole new set of pads. You see, the quarterback pads have to move here so they can throw the ball. They can't be as bulky as, say, like a lineman's pads. And so I was excited. You know, he brought out this whole new set of pads. It felt like Christmas morning. And he brings out all kinds of pads. So you think maybe just the quarterback is wearing shoulder pads, and that's what I thought. But he brings out a rib protector. He brings out a slight collar, a neck roll. Uh, He had me so armored up, and I I said to him, Coach, I don't have rib problems. And you know what he said? He said, Andrew, it's preventative maintenance. I said, Coach, I don't have any issues with my neck. Or at that time, I did not. I don't have any issues with my neck. Uh, It's preventative maintenance. You know, some of the best maintenance you can do is preventative maintenance. For instance, on your car, you don't want to be going down the road 100 miles an hour and just find out that because you did not take care of your brakes, there's a real problem here. So we preventative maintain our cars. So the first two are preventative maintenance. The next three are what happens when a relationship in your life becomes fractured. So I want to show you, first of all, this evening... How can we prevent our relationships from fracturing? Number one, embrace similarities. Embrace similarities and not differences. Look at verse number 11. Now the entire context of this passage from about verse, uh, well, you could even say verse, uh, really the whole chapter so far, you could say verse 5 though, technically through what we read, deals with, our relationships with one another. That's why it says there's one body. That's why it says that we are to forgive our brothers. And verse 11 says that we've put on this new man in Jesus Christ. We have a new mind, a a new image in Him. And verse 11 says that when we were in that place, in Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, these terms, they're all opposites. You have the Jew, you have the Gentile. You have the barbarian, you have not the barbarian. They are polar opposites. And sometimes the temptation is in our Christian life to find those most like us and develop relationships with them. It's tempting because that's who we're comfortable with. It's tempting because uh, we feel like the more we have in common, uh, the, the better foundation we have to develop this relationship. But what happens when we do that is, we never get outside of our own realm. If someone is our friend and they are exactly like us, what are they going to help you develop? A lot of times we think that uh, diversity means discord. But diversity can mean unity and harmony. It is not the enemy of productivity. It is the 
a father of potential. If you look at someone in this auditorium tonight and you say, oh, I don't have any, anything in common with them, let me tell you right now, that's the perfect person to go to develop a relationship Amen. with. Amen. The reason is, is because there's probably some things they can help you learn, and there's probably some things you can help them learn. Amen. And that's what Christian relationships are. But so often we focus on, well, they don't drive the same car. They drive a Chevy and I drive a Ford. And uh, guys, if you want, I'll, you call me and I'll jump you off with my Dodge, all right? If that's what you want to do. But we say, oh, well, they drink Mountain Dew and uh, I drink Pepsi. And, and, and we, we minor on some of the most foolish things where the Bible says in Christ, everybody has the most important thing in common. What is that? Christ is all and in all. Oh, we oftentimes look at the small diversities among us and disqualify people from ever becoming a good friend of ours. Uh, certainly, if you're going to teach a lesson or preach a lesson on friendship, David and Jonathan are one of the ones that comes to mind. How close they were and, and the care that they had for one another. But can I tell you this? As far as my study has gone, I find far more uh, unsimilar things about Jonathan and David than I do about other people in the Bible. For instance, David is the youngest in his family. Jonathan is the oldest. We oftentimes imagine David as kind of like a scrawny boy, a, a ruddy fellow the Bible terms him as, just kind of maybe not so strong. Well, that's not the way the Bible describes uh, Jonathan at all. The Bible says that Jonathan was strong as a lion like his father Saul. Uh, uh, David came from a, a, a family of farmers. Jonathan was royalty. What do those two have in common? Well, they love the king. They loved the king, and even though sometimes it was not always easy, they found their love for their nation, they found their love for their God, and they found their love for their king, something worth fighting for. And that is what developed their relationship. In fact, I would even say that Jonathan could have been better friends with Eliab if we went on our modern day thinking of, well, you've got to have things in common to be friends. Well, Eliab was the oldest. Eliab was the one who Samuel got to and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is in front of me. But sometimes, friends that are not so similar to you help you develop in areas that you would never develop in otherwise. Embrace similarities and don't major on your differences. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, this is the type of Christianity we have. All right, Is everybody with me? Ephesians 4, listen. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, the Bible was written for Southerners. You all, you see that? The Bible tells us this thing is not complicated. If you cannot be in harmony and unity about the fact that you have a good God who teaches you to love all men like He loves all men, there's no reason you can't get along with someone across the auditorium this evening. Focus on uh, 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 similarities and don't make such a big deal about differences. Now, as I say this, I'm not saying that you go befriend the most rebellious, backslidden Christian in this room. Amen. 
Remember preacher preaching last week on the gravity of depravity? Was that two weeks ago? I think I was out last week. The gravity of depravity. That was Wednesday night, actually. The gravity of depravity. Certainly, we want to guard our friendships, but when in terms of, oh, just focusing on petty differences, that's a foolish way to develop friendships. First, in, uh, 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 embrace similarities and not differences. Secondly, equip to handle relationships the way Christ would. Equip to handle relationships the way Christ would. Now, what did I say? The first two are what? Preventative what? Maintenance. Maintenance. That's exactly right. Help me out. The first two are what? Preventative Maintenance. maintenance. So we're trying to avoid confrontations in our relationships. So we can uh, embrace similarities and not differences, and we can equip ourselves to handle relationships the way that Christ would. Now that's a lot easier said than it is done, is it not? I want to show this to you in verse number 12 though. The Bible says, put on. Now does that mean that it's not always on? If you have to put it on, that probably means it's not always on. In other words, it probably means it's not always easy. But this is what the Bible tells us to do. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Notice this, first of all, bowels of mercies. Secondly, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Now, that's the way Christ would handle His relationships. That's the way he handled his relationship with John. That's the way he handled it with Peter. That is even the way he handled it with the Pharisees of his day. He handled them with those attributes there. I want to study quickly. We won't go into great depth, but what is bowels of mercy? Well, it could be said like this modern day, a heart full of compassion. A heart full of compassion. Friend, I won't get too deep into this, but I want to ask you, would you say that you have a heart that is full of compassion towards your brother? Because that's what the Bible tells us. If we want to avoid uh, uh, problems and divides in our relationships, we have to have a heart full of compassion. Secondly, kindness. I like this quote. It may not help you, but it sure helped me. Kindness does not require us to be blind to facts or to live in fancies, but it does require us to cherish a habit of goodwill, ready to show pity if sorrow appears, and slow to turn away even if hostility appears. We have to be kind. You know, it's, it's pretty cheap to be kind, but the effects of it will last long after you will ever realize. Kind. Just be kind. Thirdly, humbleness of mind. That's what the Bible says in verse 12. Humbleness of mind. Strong's Concordance defines this as, in this way. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. Now, hear me. Strong's Concordance defines a humble mind as a deep sense of one's moral littleness. In other words, you have a pretty accurate perception of who you really are. I'll never forget getting on the highway and, 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 and seeing somebody cut me off and then having somebody cut them off and they get mad at the person in front of them and I'm thinking the whole time, 
Sir, are you not guilty about the same thing you just did? What we have to realize is we are just as liable to uh, offend someone as someone is to offend us. We are one bad day, one bad moment, one bad second away from offending a friend more than we could ever realize. But when we get offended, it's the end of the world. But boy, what we have to have uh, an accurate perception of ourselves and realize sometimes we don't always do the right thing either. A humbleness of mind. Uh, Fourthly, meekness. Verse number 12 tells us meekness. What's the difference between humility and meekness? It's very difficult. Humbleness or humility is an attitude. Meekness is the action. You with me? Humbleness is an attitude of yourself. Meekness is being willing to extend that humility to help others along the way. You say, how, how does that make any sense? I want to read you a Bible verse here. And this spoke a world to me. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual. Now these people have reason to be a little haughty. These people have a reason to be a little arrogant. You see, they're the spiritual crowd. But this is what the Bible says. If a man be overtaken by a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one, notice, in the spirit of meekness. Realize that the only difference between you and the man in, in whom you are helping to be restored is just one decision, one moment, one split-second judgment call that he regrets, and you probably aren't all that exempt from doing something just like he did. Not only should we have a humbleness of mind, a meekness, then we see, fifthly, long-suffering. Well, I think we all kind of know what long-suffering is. It's patience and endurance under great difficulty. Now, let's see a a showing of hands tonight if after we've gone over all these, you say, Brother Andrew, that's a pretty difficult list to live out. Uh, I'll be the first one with my hand raised there, but I want you to do me a favor, okay? Take your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter number 5. Now, what what, what are the things that we should equip ourselves with? Well... We should equip ourselves with bowels of, of, of mercies or a compassionate heart. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Now Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. All of you will know what we're about to read as we start to read it. This is the fruits of the Spirit. Now, now I want you all to pay attention from what we just read to what we're about to read, okay? Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, well, that sounds pretty similar to a compassionate heart. Uh, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's word for word what's in our other verse. Gentleness, goodness. Did you know the word gentleness here is actually the same Greek word which is used in our passage for kindness? It's the same word. Kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. So, Humility is the attitude, meekness is the action. You must have meekness 
or you must have humility in order to extend meekness in the right manner. So there we have every single requirement. Now here's what is required of you. Walk in the Spirit. Say, Brother Andrew, all, I, I can't do all those things. Good, you only have one requirement. Brother Andrew, I can't always be humble. I can't always be kind. I can't always be meek. I can't always be long-suffering. I don't always have a compassionate heart. You don't have to focus on all those things. You know what you must focus on as a Christian? Walking in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we automatically produce the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit match perfectly to the things that we are supposed to be doing in order to prevent our relationships from fracturing. That's something else, is it not? We must major on similarities and not differences. We must equip ourselves to handle relationships the way in which Christ handled them. Thirdly, now this is somewhat of a change. We go from preventative maintenance to how are you going to fix the relationship that is fractured? You say, Brother Andrew, if I do all those things that you mentioned to prevent relationships from fracturing in my life, will it always work? I'm sorry to tell you, it won't. It's not a foolproof plan. Because relationships with imperfect people mean you sometimes have imperfect things happen. And, and sometimes people can get offended because of misperceived actions. Have you ever done something with a heart of goodness, uh, uh, trying to be good and trying to be kind and gracious, only to have those actions misrepresented or misunderstood? Amen. Boy, that's ruined a lot of relationships. Somebody trying to do right and they are blamed for doing wrong. Misperceived actions, misunderstood communications... Have you ever said anything that was maybe mistaken? Like, if your wife asks you, honey, does this dress look me fat? Well, uh, uh, does this dress make me look fat? I don't necessarily think the designer of the dress had any intention of making you look skinnier than you are. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. But, but have you ever said anything that was maybe misunderstood? Sometimes, though, it's because of mishandled situations. And I'll be the first one to say, I've been put in positions which, regrettably, I would have to say, I did not handle the right way. I have been in situations where much pressure was on me, maybe I'd had a bad day, and now all is kind of bubbling over, and in a moment of weakness, in a moment of flesh, I react in a way that is not holy. Did you know that even if you're walking in the Spirit, you can grieve the Spirit just like that? So what do you do when those things happen? Well, the Bible lays out a plan here. So we'll see, thirdly, exercise the attributes of grace. Now, this is what you do when the relationship has fractured. Okay, everybody with me? Verse number 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Notice, first of all, we are to forbear. Now, that's not a word that we use often. This particular Greek word is used 15 times in the New Testament. I, I won't get too deep into the Greek so you don't have to get confused, but it's used 15 times, okay? 
Many times a word can be translated similarly or the exact same and it just come out in the English language differently. This word is used 15 times in the, in the Greek language in the New Testament. Two of them are trans, uh, 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 not transferred, but translated as uh, uh, forbearance. Seven, which is the overall majority, is this, suffer. Did you know that Jesus uses this same word, uh, or, or Paul uses this same word when he says, For ye suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? You suffer. When somebody harms you, it causes you to suffer. And did you know that's the exact same word that is used here in, in Colossians chapter 3 that says that we are to forbear? Now, I'm not saying that the translators of the New Testament were doing anything wrong. I'm just helping you understand the word forbear means this. Sometimes relationships can cause you pain. Doesn't mean you give up on them. That doesn't mean they should go on the scrap heap. That doesn't mean they're, they're done with. You don't want to fool with that anymore. If a relationship hurts you, that should only cause you to strive more to restore that relationship. We are to forbear and not to forget. Secondly, we are to forgive. We are to forgive. Notice this. Not only are we to forgive. You see, that's a difficult thing in and of itself. But we are to forgive even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know two ways in which Christ forgave us that are unique to Him? Number one, He forgives so as not to ever bring it up again. Now somehow in God's theology, and I don't understand this, how an all-knowing God can forget anything, but the Bible says He does. He will remember them no more. I, I don't understand it, but the Bible proclaims it, and I believe it's true. I, on the other hand, do not have the ability to just forget. But I can sure forgive. So as never to bring it up again. Well, one of the most harmful things is when somebody hurts you, and years later, months later, weeks later, something else happens. And you, you thought you had it all taken care of only to bring up old skeletons again, only to use them as ammunition as to the reason you're right and they're wrong. That's not the true definition of forgiveness. Even as Christ forgave you, forgive others. That's the way we're to forgive, so as not to remember it or to bring it up again. Not only He forgives to never recall, secondly, He forgives to restore. You know the reason Christ forgives us? So that we can once again have the fellowship with the Father that was originally intended. The reason we are given forgiveness by our Heavenly Father is because He wants to be our Father. And we have a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. And so He forgives in order to restore. When we forgive others, we ought to forgive in order to restore broken or fractured relationships. The Bible says this. Now, stay with me, okay? The Bible says in Luke 17, we all know this passage, but I don't know if you know this. Luke 17, verse 3 says, 
Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And most of us like that part, right? <laughs> That's my favorite part of the whole process. If a brother uh, 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 trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now that's difficult. But the Bible commands it. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn unto, to, uh, again to thee saying, I repent, what are you supposed to do? Thou shalt forgive him. Now that's tough. That's a, a habitual forgiveness, and oftentimes forgiveness is not an easy habit to create in our life. But it is in verse 5 when the disciples say something. See, that's verse 3 and 4. Verse number 5, you know what they say? Lord, increase our faith. Verse 3 and 4, forgive your brother even if he trespasses against you seven times in a single day. Can you imagine the look that Peter had to give to John and John gave to James? They look at each other and say, boys, this is going to be a tough one. And they huddle around and they say, what are we supposed to say back to the Lord? Are we supposed to say this is impossible? Are we supposed to say there's no way I could do that? You know what they turn to him and say, Lord, if we're going to do this, we're going to need your help. Forgiveness is not always an easy thing to extend to a brother. But forgiveness is a godly thing. And it is an honorable thing because Scripture commands us to do so. We are to uh, forgive and to forbear. So we are to exercise the attributes of grace. Fourthly, we're hustling along. No worries. Man, I'm way ahead of time. I can slow down. I don't even have to preach fast. It's only 7.30. Amen. Spanish church came in early. Y'all got me. I thought it was 7.30 when they walked in, but they got me. See, tonight the Spanish church is baptizing, I believe, eight folks after church. So praise the Lord. Amen. That's exciting. They don't speak, Span they don't speak English, so they think you're clapping for me. That's great. That's wonderful. That's great. Okay. So we are to ex exercise the attributes of grace. What are those? We are to forbear and to forgive. Fourthly, we, we are to establish relationships based upon the love that you've experienced. You say, Brother Andrew, none of this comes natural. You know, when we got saved, the Lord made us a new creature. Amen. Old things that are stay with me, natural, old things that come easy are passed away. The new life is going to be difficult. Amen. But the new life, we have a new companion to help us live it out. We have God on our side. Amen. And so he says that we are to love our brothers. Verse 14. We, we are to forbear, we are to forgive. We are to put on all these attributes that are going to be so difficult. We have to walk in the Spirit. But you cannot miss verse 14. And above all these things. You see, the way I picture this is an Olympic podium. The bronze medalist is great. The silver medalist is great. But the gold medalist is what? Above all of them. And the Bible says in verse 14, And above all these things, what are we supposed to do? Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity is simply this, love. 
not just a normal kind of love, but a Jesus kind of love. It's not easy loving the unlovable, but that is exactly what Christ did for us. It is not easy uh, loving those who may, are, may be caught in a fault or uh, uh, doing something against us, but it was in that time when Jesus expressed His most great amounts of love, Jesus' kind of love. We're not to extend love based upon love that we can conjure up. We are not to exercise love based upon what we can muster and, and we can accomplish in our, own, in our own strength. We are to extend love the way that we have been extended love. We love Christ. Why? Because He first loved us. And He says, By this shall all men know that ye are My disciples, if ye have love for one another. Say, Brother Andrew, there's somebody in this room tonight that when I see their car pull in the parking lot, I park on the other side of the building. You say, Brother Andrew, there's someone in this room tonight who I have not spoken to and I avoid every single chance I get. That's not Jesus' kind of love. Jesus' kind of love forces you to fix it. You know what Jesus did in order to forcefully fix our relationship with the Father? Well, He left heaven. He came to earth where He knew He would be reviled and persecuted and criticized and hurt and placed upon a cross for our sins. And the whole reason He did that was to restore our relationship with Him. We have to extend love, exercise love, not love that is normal kind of love, but love like we have been given. 1 John chapter 4 says this, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. I like the book of uh, 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 James. I like the book of 1 John. He just speaks plain truth. He says, if a man says he has love for God and he doesn't love his brother, he's lying through his teeth. Well, why is that? For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, And above all these things have fervent charity among yourselves. Why is that, Peter? For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Now don't mistake what Peter is writing. He's not saying because you love someone, look over their sins and get along with their sins. No, Peter is exercising here when someone offends you, the love that you have for them can help you restore the relationship. So we have to have love and we must extend love in the way that we have been given love. Fifthly, and this is the close of the message, now that we've hopefully restored the relationship through forbearance, through forgiveness, through tremendous amounts of compassion. And let me say this, you cannot fix a relationship with someone who does not want to have a relationship fixed. But you should never give up. I believe you can pray for them. I believe you can do many things to help restore that relationship. But once you've done all that you can... The fifth thing the Bible teaches us to do is this. Enjoy the support of God-given relationships in your life. Enjoy it. 
Verse number 15, look at this. The entire verses, the entire passage we've read speaks about our relationship with our fellow man. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of God... Now, what does the peace of God have anything to do with anything? This is speaking about our relationship with men. But now, after we've achieved our healed relationships, verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. There it is, one body, the body of Christ, the local church. You are called in one body. Now that you've restored all your relationships, let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be ye thankful. Wouldn't it be nice if you could come to church knowing that everyone was just fine with you? Some of you almost have to laugh because you say, that's not even realistic. It is if we have relationships the way the Bible wants us to have them. Wouldn't it be nice knowing that you could come to church and not have to worry about... uh, You could shake everyone's hand at handshaking time. You wouldn't have to go to the bathroom and stick yourself in the stall so so, so somebody didn't come up and shake your hand. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what the peace of God is. Knowing that you have not offended anyone and knowing that no one has offended you, you've done, uh, hey, doing this is a lot of work, but you've done all that you can to make sure that you're right with your fellow man. And I believe this you cannot be right with God if you're wrong with man, and you cannot be right with man if you're wrong with God. Wouldn't it be nice if we could come and let the peace of God rule in our lives and we could enjoy the support of God-given relationships? Have you ever walked through your yard and maybe found one of those devilish things? I believe the devil created them uh, uh, called stickers. Have you all ever stepped on one of those? Amen. We have them good in Texas. Last year we had the bubonic plague of stickers in my yard. They were like some crazy Arabian tarantula sticker. I don't even know how to explain it. They weren't like traditional Texas stickers, which have kind of grown accustomed to them. These were like angry, toxic stickers in my yard. And it was terrible. Occasionally I'd be walking through the yard and I wear Crocs all the time. It's my dress clothes. I'm surprised I'm not wearing them now. I wear Crocs almost all the time. And, and from time to time, one will get in my Croc and I'll plant and lodge that thing right in my big toe. You know, it would be very foolish for me to continue walking because it causes great discomfort. It would also be very foolish for me to take my foot out of my crock and start to use my other foot to get it off. What happens? Your other foot gets the sticker. What is the proper procedure for removing the sticker? Your hand takes the sticker and removes it. And sometimes if it's real serious, you've got to get mom with tweezers and she pours the you know, blows on it and stuff. That's the right way to do it. And then gives a little kiss on your toe afterward. That's a good mom for you. That's Ginger Wolfenbarger. You should have put that in your presentation, Miss Corey. That's what you should have done. Miss Ginger's a good preacher. She kisses the toe of her son. That's, that's probably, I would have done it. You see, what happens when you get a sticker? Well, you have to figure out a way to get it removed. See, the support of a Christian body is this, that sometimes if you're on the foot end of things and you get stuck, you get stung, there's someone there to help lift your burden. 
That's the wonderful thing about Christian relationships and support. When I was in college, I had never broken a bone in my life, but when I was in college, I broke one. I was playing football in intramurals. I was a team captain. They had run short on talent, so they made me a captain. They said, uh, Brother Andrew, we're going to do a flag to qualify for playoffs, and then we're going to uh, uh, do tackle in playoffs. Now, I was fine with tackle. Tackle doesn't scare me, but we were doing tackle with no pads. My team had gone undefeated throughout the league, and I was very excited about playoffs. We were Uh, We had a really good team. First game, I remember the quarterback went on like a little quarterback sneak. I was playing linebacker. And I went and I caught him. And I promise you this, this thought went through my mind. And this may be a bad thought. Amen. It probably is. If I hurt him as I tackle him, we will win. You say you would never. That's my dad's reason. It's his fault. I remember going and tackling him, and I, I said in my mind, if I throw him extremely hard against this ground, it could potentially hurt him, and it could give us a tremendous advantage. So as I was doing this, I, I did. I tr- applied tremendous leverage to him. What that did is it caused me to spin. And my knee hit the ground, and my leg slapped solid against the ground, and I heard a pop. You see, that's what we call in the Bible a God spanking. That's exactly what that is. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And I limped over. I had never broken a bone, so I was very unfamiliar with all of this. I limped over. And I got on the bench. And the referee of this intramural football game is actually the executive vice president of the college, Dr. John Getch. Some of you have taught from his Sunday school books. And he comes over. He's like all world everything at the college he went to. He's averaged 30 points and was a quarterback. I mean, just stud at life. And he comes over to me and goes, Andrew, what do you think? I go, well, Dr. Getch, I don't know. I, I've never had a broken bone. I've, I've sprained a lot of... Uh, feet and you know, ankles. I, I've done a lot of muscle tears and pulls, and I've never felt anything like this. I think it's a break. And he said this. He said, Andrew, it's not a break because you got up and walked on it. I said, okay, well, you would know. That night, I limped to my room. I got in the shower, and I could not even put any weight on my foot at all as I showered. I limped out of the shower. I got in the bed. And I slept all night with my foot elevated and ice on it, trying to keep the swelling down, which I could barely get my cleat off when I got to my room. My, la- my foot swelled up uh, almost twice its normal size, turned all beautiful colors of the rainbow. Next morning I woke up and I said, you know, I respect Dr. Getch, but I'm going to the emergency room. I think I broke my ankle. Sure enough, I go to the emergency room, the Antelope Valley Medical Clinic or something like that, and uh, we go in there, he x-rays it, and he says, sure enough, that's a fracture. See, the truth of the matter is, I knew it was a fracture. Despite what everybody was telling me, despite what other people said, you know, Dr. Getch, bless his heart, he's a great man, but he is no doctor. Well, I guess he is, he's a Dr. Getch, but he's no (laughs) medical doctor. (laughs) Boy, that, stay with me. Come on, guys. 
I respect him a lot. Even when he said, Andrew, I, I don't think it's a break because you got up and walked on it. I told him, I said, Dr. Getch, I don't know. I think it is. You see, I knew when something was fractured. Tonight, you sit in an auditorium full of a lot of great people, but a lot of imperfect people. And there's a very good chance that some of us have hurt relationships. And you know it. And other people may say, oh, it's all right, it's their fault, it's her fault, it's his fault. But you know it. Despite what other people say, the responsibility is on you to take care of it. You see, there's two types of people in a Baptist church. There's instigators and initiators. Instigators cause problems. Initiators take care of problems. Which one are you?